This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. If you live in the United States, chances are you've been to a Chipotle Mexican grill. While I love tacos and guacamole just as much as you do, Lisa and I were super excited to welcome Chipotle to Good Together to talk about something other than queso. Chipotle recently launched a surprising new initiative. They're turning avocado pits into clothing. Yeah, you heard me right. For Caitlin Liebert, Chipotle's head of sustainability, prioritizing supporting the circular economy alongside making the best tasting burritos goes hand in hand. In today's conversation, I sit down with Caitlin to discuss a ton of interesting topics like how Chipotle is open sourcing more sustainable food supply chains, the unique way the restaurant got its hands dirty to dig into their waste footprint, and more. Let's get into it. All right, Caitlin, welcome to Good Together. Thank you, Laura. It's so good to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. And personally, I'm a huge fan of Chipotle. Actually, my husband is probably even a bigger fan than I am. We probably, gosh, we probably in, at one point in our lives ate it at least once a week, uh, which for us is a big deal. We cook a lot. Uh, so we're super excited to talk with a company that has a huge impact here in the United States, both in terms of the way people eat and also the way people think about what they eat. Um, so we're just thrilled to have you. Um, and so before we get into it, Caitlin, I wondered if you could just introduce yourself um, and just give give our audience a brief overview of what you do at Chipotle. Sure, absolutely. So I am Caitlin Liebert. I head up sustainability for Chipotle, um, as well as I'm the executive director of the Chipotle Cultivate Foundation, which is our 501c3. So what does all that mean? Essentially, my team and I look uh, to better understand and ultimately improve the impact that we have as a brand on the world around us. So this is everything from waste, energy, water, and all the environmental sustainability um, to furthering and make sure that we're on the front line of social sustainability as well. Um, so it's a, a pretty incredible role. I get to work and make sure we remain leaders in the food with integrity space. So that's working with suppliers, which is just a divine treat. It's part of, you know, probably one of the most famous or sorry, excuse me, favorite parts of my job, um, as well as uh, trying to disrupt the, the philanthropy space. Uh, we have some really cool projects going over there on the foundation side of things as well. So 
no two days are the same, which is really <laughs> exciting. You've um, got a lot going on. That's so awesome. Much, so much. Yeah. So that is me and that's who I am and what I do. That's great. Um, and I love that there's just so many different factors that you get to experience there because one of the things we talk about often on this podcast is how, of course, the word sustainability means something different to everyone. Um, there's so many different pieces that go into the puzzle that is living an eco-friendly lifestyle and, of course, running an eco-friendly business. So it's, it's extremely fascinating. So I wonder if we can kind of start off by talking a little bit about how the concept of um, sustainable eating and the restaurant industry are related. Um, I know that Chipotle got started small, um, you know, started as a one restaurant business and kind of, you know, expanded. But I'd be really curious to know, you know, a little bit more about like the broader picture here and sort of how you see, um, you know, Chipotle fitting into the larger sustainability trend as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Happy to help uh, flesh this one out. It's, It's a fascinating area. So Chipotle started in 1993 in Denver with one restaurant, um, and Steve Ells was our founder. Um, and he was just this incredible chef that came out of the Culinary Institute of America. He went out to San Francisco, um, was working under Chef Jeremiah Towers at Stars, had a real culinary passion, um, wanted to open up a fabulous French restaurant, um, didn't have the funds to do so. So uh, he was able to get a loan in order to start a business that would raise money for that larger concept, which is at sort of this uh, incredible legend of Chipotle. That's how it was born. And he opened up this restaurant. Um, he was really inspired by the Mission District of San Francisco, where he saw food prepared for hours and hours, um, but served really quickly. You could just walk up and someone would make you a burrito, right? Um, and so that was the concept behind Chipotle. And although he had a passion for really great ingredients, I wouldn't say that at that point it was known as a sustainable brand, right? It was just this one restaurant in Denver with really high quality ingredients. Sure. Well, the the inception and the legend of sustainability and food with integrity at Chipotle actually starts with our pork. Um, And he was using a commodity or conventional pork, and it was drying out really quickly on the line. And so he wanted to better understand how can we have better carnitas at our restaurants? Um, and that led him to Nyman Ranch and Paul Willis um, out in Iowa. And he realized then that there is a better way uh, to raise pigs. And he had no idea. He looked at conventional compared to Nyman Ranch, and the pork tasted so much better. And so the more he researched, the more he found that there was actually a link between how an ingredient is raised or grown and how it tastes. And so for him, the link from the the, the intro into sustainability came from this very humble place of how can I serve the very best food? I love that. I'm actually going to hop in there just because I think it really speaks to an overall trend that we're seeing, which is approaching eco-friendly living um, and and uh, living with a planet first mindset from a curiosity standpoint. I think most of us don't wake up in the morning one day and say, you know, the world is burning. What can I do? Um, I think we think of that, of that like that a lot, but we can't really, um, you know, connect the dots in specific ways. Oftentimes what happens even more is, yes, we have a question about something that might seem unrelated. And then as we go down the path, we realize that like, getting back to the roots, doing things right by the planet actually makes a huge difference, both in terms of the environment, but in terms of other things too. And so I love that this is the the founding story of Chipotle. I actually had no idea about that. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And to your point, I mean, I think there's this um, excitement around 
green culture, which is really important, right? And in no way would I knock that. But what's really neat about this story is it came from such a pure, important place, right? This isn't about sort of adding a sustainable element. It's really at the core of who we are. Um, and so we've been able to grow and expand from there. Um, and, and ultimately, to me, yes, that is a link um, that we see in the restaurant industry, but it's become more and more clear uh, through the decades now uh, that we've been open, that this is not just a trend, but this is a way of operating for restaurants um, that gives us a competitive advantage in a lot of ways. So um, beyond just the surface level of green or sustainable, um, this is really at the core of how you run a business. And, and we are proud to be part of that revolution. Yeah. And the more that businesses can operate from a understanding that, you know, doing right by the planet is also, you know, going to get them a lot more business because, you know, customers care about the world, but they also want a superior product. And I think oftentimes people think that when they hear the words organic, natural, they might, you know, from a food perspective, they might think, okay, yeah, that's going to taste a lot better. But sometimes when you think about um, like organic cotton um, and, and interesting materials being used in physical products, sometimes people still have a misconception that they aren't going to be quite as good or that you're compromising a little bit in order to um, you know, make uh, the right sustainable choice. And that's really not the case in most of the things we're seeing come out now. Um, and so the more, again, like the, the businesses in, in large corporations can see that, you know, not only is this a trend, but it's something that's going to affect the bottom line in a positive way. I think this this whole trend of voting with your dollars is only going to just continue to grow and create more change. That, that's that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, absolutely right. And you bring up something that's really important. I, I Again, I think um, it is. It, it has to go beyond this sort of separate or silo or layered approach to sustainability. And actually, our CFO, Jack Hartung, often uses this term, the genius of and, A-N-D. Um, and very early on, you know, I've been with Chipotle 13 years and I've worked with him all of those years. Um, and very early on when I'd come pitch initiatives to him, of course, you have to have the CFO's blessing on a lot of these things. He would say, Caitlin, I need you to think about the genius of and here. How do we continue to deliver on our promise of you know, providing food with integrity, um, but also at this tremendous value, right? It, it should not be one or the other. How do we have sustainability and make sure it fits our model and helps drive everything that Chip Chipotle is? And I think that that sort of shift of mindset um, sets you up for a long-term sustainable approach versus the first thing that's cut when the money gets tight or times are rough or we're in a pandemic, right? So for us to be able to have um, had this, this philosophy behind sustainability, that is, it is about the genius of and and not or. Um, and that's really stuck with me through the years. I love that. And it's, you know, having a mentor like that um, at such a, of course, at a high level in your in your uh, respect, but also just having somebody that uh, has influence on a big company that has chosen to, A, support sustainability um, perspectives, but also to, you know, recognize that it is a challenge. Like it sounded like, you know, he's coming to you with, uh, with some excitement, but also saying, hey, look, this is, you know, we're going to have to work through this together and then kind of take these small steps in order to create this big difference. So that's, that's, fascinating. I love the the and. Uh, I'll have to take that away and think a little bit more about that too. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> I love it. Um, but I wonder, so 
as you started to think about building, um, you know, food with integrity, as you were mentioning, into the very sort of uh, founding principles of Chipotle, or at least the operating principles of Chipotle going forward, um, I'm sure ingredients was a big part of this. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about where the ingredients that the average Chipotle consumer um, consumes comes from and sort of what that journey was like as you started to think through, okay, pork, here's this first ingredient that we're going to make, um, you know, we're going to source from a really sustainable uh, spot, how do you start to think about the other things that go into um, a typical burrito? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Chipotle's ingredient list as a whole is really small. We have about 53 key ingredients that we use um, for everything that makes up Chipotle on the line. And I think that first and foremost, that differentiates us, right? Um, this is you know, degrees less than the average fast food or QSR restaurant is going to have. So with that in mind, knowing that we have a really streamlined list of hand curated ingredients, we have the opportunity to look at each of them and really ensure that we are working towards being as sustainable as possible in each one of these categories. Um, I think first and foremost, a huge shout out to our supply chain team, to our culinary team, and even to our brand marketing team on this. We all work together my team and those three teams to ensure that we are, as we introduce new ingredients or as we maintain, you know, these legacy ingredients, how are we ensuring that they are as sustainable as possible? How are they living up to the standard of food with integrity? And I'll tell you, it's not as easy often as purchasing off the shelf. And a really great example of that is cilantro. You know, we, um, were out in Salinas a few years ago. I was lucky enough to be out there with Brian, our CEO, um, and we're meeting with the supplier and our our produce team. Um, and the question came up of, well, why can't we have more organic? And they say, well, you know, we just don't have more. We, th this isn't grown. Organic cilantro is not grown at the scale that you guys use it. And uh, the question then was, much to our CEO's credit, well, can it be? What would we need to do to do that? And so that to me is scale change at scale, right? We are starting to have the conversation then of not just accepting what is out there, but driving change within the supply chain to create it. And I'm happy to say um, we're working towards 100% cilantro this year, which is really incredible. So we went from having an ingredient that didn't have organic, which by the way, is just one of many different things that we look at when it comes to food with integrity, organic being one of those things. But we had an ingredient that um, you know organic wasn't part of that mix yet. And we work to create change in that entire category of cilantro. And what's really neat is that then other companies and brands can come in and that market exists where it didn't at scale before. So um, we've been really lucky to be part of those conversations. Um, but I, a quick note on that, and I mentioned this before, organic is one thing we look at. So from a marketing standpoint, it would be really easy -er to say, a hundred percent of this ingredient is organic or a hundred percent of our ingredients are X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Um, but what's really important is that we look at each ingredient and build this tapestry of food with integrity and sustainability behind it, right? It's not one thing. There is no one size fits all when it comes to sustainability. And I know that that's a challenging concept. I have a, I get frustrated with the complexity of it sometimes for sure. But what's, what's most sustainable for chicken, for instance, is not necessarily going to be our approach for red onions um, or romaine lettuce. Um, so while we're looking at things like grass fed for beef, um, we're looking at local for things like romaine lettuce and bell peppers. Um, and 
each one of those is important. And um, much to the credit of all those teams that I mentioned and everyone working at Chipotle, we're trying to uphold this tapestry-like model um, and do so in the most you know, informed and uh, scale-changing way possible. So it is harder to do work this way. It is harder to be truly sustainable this way um, and to take the time to get to know each one of these ingredients to understand the market, to understand the opportunity. But ultimately, we feel we have a responsibility to drive change. And that is what we work to do each day in each one of these ingredients. I love hearing that. I think, you know, cilantro, of course, you know, as an ingredient itself, I didn't know this, but it's relatively controversial. Some people think it tastes like soap. Which yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I actually grew up in Texas um, and basically have cilantro running through my veins. So <laughs> I, I think it would be um, very uh, disappointing to, to think it tastes like soap. But, um, you know, it's funny, I actually have noticed we I actually grow my own now. But before I did that, I also found it hard to find organic versions at the grocery store. And Absolutely. I think when you you tell this story about creating new supply chains um, and letting anyone access them. I also think a little bit about Costco, um, just from a consumer perspective, when, you know, people have seen documentaries about just the truly, you know, gigantic Im um, impact that Costco has. And they oftentimes talk about Costco going forward and innovating new you know, supply chains themselves as well. So I think just having these larger companies come and make a stand and then open everything up, it's almost like you're open sourcing. You know, of course, we at Brightly are in the tech space and it almost yep. to me sounds like you guys are open sourcing um, the ingredient um, acquisition, if you will. So that's, that's <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> no, I, you bring up such an important point that I want to touch on and that's the importance of scale and the opportunity and responsibility of scale. And it's why I do what I do where I do it. You know, I am, you know, this is my life's work. I believe that that this is what I'm meant to be doing, right? And I get to do that. Um, and I choose to do that for Chipotle because of this opportunity for scale and because of our culture and our values. Um, but but really the scale component so that when we work to make change, um, it, it has this echo effect, right? And we can't deny that. And yes, you know, there is room for all of us. I think innovation and sustainability needs to happen at all different levels. Um, there is a place for the mom and pop out there who's coming up with the most incredible sourcing and no waste and doing all these really incredible things that maybe a larger company would struggle to do at the scale that we have. But what we lack in maybe that uh, opportunity for, you know, the purity of one store and what you could do with one restaurant we have this opportunity to create change at scale. And that is something that I'm so passionate about. And it's important, um, not more important, not less important, but an important piece of the sustainability puzzle as we look towards shaping and molding a more sustainable economy or food system as a whole. Yeah, you're talking to uh, a total believer here in scale as well. Um, I Before I founded Brightly, I um, did stents at large tech companies like Google, Amazon, and Adobe. And I was always struck there by the just like you mentioned, echo impact of one decision that the company would make. Um, it was not just, you know, going to impact a, you know, a handful of people. It, you know, would affect millions. And I think, you know, the opportunity to take sustainability and social good um, related behaviors and scale them across industries is just really fascinating. So I totally yeah, hear you on that. And take people along with you too, right, Laura? I mean, yes. I think that's the point of open sourcing, right? Like how do we, um, and yes, of course there's competition, but ultimately, you know, if you think about a cow, for instance, um, and we're, we're trying to change, you know, how a, a cattle or how a head of, of cattle is raised in the U.S., right? How do we do that? We have to partner with other people to make that happen, right? How can we work together 
to help support that entire industry as a whole. So that's one example of how, you know, pre-competitively, we're working to try and um, change these uh, systems at scale, uh, which is exciting. It's a thrilling part of the job. It's a master puzzle and a challenge, um, but it's going to take all of us at all different levels to do that. Absolutely. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about another thing that always pops into my mind when I eat at Chipotle or really when I eat at any restaurant. And honestly, I found it popping into my head more now because of the pandemic, because everyone has to use takeout containers. So I was curious about what the biggest driver of food and packaging waste are at Chipotle right now and sort of how you think about that from a sort of problem and then solution perspective. Yeah, great question. Let me first say that waste <laughs> is a huge part of our role as sustainability practitioners at 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 restaurants, right? Um, in this industry, if we're not really in the know about what our waste outputs are, we're missing a major opportunity for sustainability. To me, waste is one of the most material items, um, and not just to me. A third party material materiality assessment identifies that as well, right? So waste is is like the the footprint of your restaurant, right? It tells a story. You have to get in there and you have to figure out what your opportunity is. And we literally do just that. So my team um, conducts waste audits all throughout the year, throughout the country. Um, and we get in the dumpster and we sort our waste. Um, and this tells us um, precisely what we produce. Actually, we've been able to build what we call lovingly a waste matrix as a result oh, wow. of that. So <laughs> down to the very dollar, um, of, of restaurant sales, we're able to predict pretty accurately how many forks or avocado pits or pounds of uh, romaine core we have there. And Chipotle's waste makeup is unique in that we prep all of our ingredients in-house, right? So we have field pack romaine lettuce, we have avocado pits and shells at a scale really that's, that's unique to us as a whole. Um, and this means that we have more um, what they call organic waste or waste that could be composted or used for other things um, than the average, certainly fast food restaurant, but most restaurants in general. And then another really surprising thing about our waste, um, I would say, is that over half of it or roughly half of it is cardboard. And that is because we work really hard to source these ingredients and they come to our store frequently. And we sometimes forget that packaging is not just the bowl you eat out of. It's not just the cup you get your, your beverage in. It's all of those things. They have to arrive in something at the restaurant, right? Yes. Um, so th this list that's created from the waste audit is really our marching orders, in my opinion. It's what drives strategy. So if we know half of our waste is cardboard, well, A, let's really work to drive down the amount of packaging that we have in our restaurant. And that has to do with case counts and other really fun initiatives we work on with our logistics team and our suppliers. How can we fit 1,600 cups in a box versus 1,000? And that, that reduces truckloads and truckloads um, off, the, you know, off the road each year, believe it or not. Um, but it also means, what are we going to do with all that cardboard? That tells me that recycling um, is a key priority at each one of our restaurants. So not even in the front of house necessarily, though that is important, but I mean strictly in the back of house, a customer might not ever see. We have a, a diversion program that keeps half of all of our waste out of the restaurants where we're able to recycle just through that cardboard, right? So, um, or I should say roughly half. Um, and so for me, these waste audits are a really important tool, um, and, and it allows us to not be a bag in the wind of sustainable waste ideas, right? It means that what we're doing is not greenwashing when we create programs 
Um, but, but ultimately driving real material change at our restaurants because it's rooted in this data that we have literally sorted and weighed with our hands. Um, so it's a, it's a unique approach that we take. Um, and a note on packaging, of course, it's on my mind all the time, right? I mean, I think there is a need for it, uh, certainly right now with COVID, but we are looking at alternatives. How can we have reusables in the restaurant? This is something that we're actually coming up and uh, testing uh, shortly here in uh, California in a handful of restaurants. How do we pivot that model a little bit? What does that look like? But ultimately, there is a need for disposable packaging. How can we make that as sustainable as possible? Um, and there's really innovative conversations happening there. Um, without getting into too much detail, how do we take, you know, I think it's no secret if you look at some of the initiatives we had that I'm quite passionate about the circular economy. So how do we take some of our waste outputs um, and turn them into things that we can use in a restaurant like the glove to bag program, right? Um, like our avocado pit to die line. How do we yes. take these things yeah, from our restaurants and turn them into something useful? So we're thinking about that in many ways, but packaging is one of them. Yes. And I think, you know, I honestly had no idea how much cardboard um, was coming into just restaurants as a whole. It makes total sense. I mean, you know, we were just talking about Costco, but hey, even if you go to Costco, they will ask, hey, do you want a box to put your stuff in? And I'm always Absolutely. like, no, I don't need the box. Like I have 8,000 boxes because of all <laughs> the packaging that I've just acquired. But I think in general, um, you know, thinking through ways to A, yes, stop it from happening, but then B, you know, figuring out really interesting ways to reuse what we already have. And that actually, you know, you just briefly mentioned it, but that kind of leads me into my next question, which is one of the reasons um, we kind of connected about having Chipotle on the podcast, which is we were fascinated to learn about the um, Chipotle goods pro uh, sort of project, if you will, where uh, you have taken avocado pits and turned them into clothing. And so I personally have only seen avocado pits being uh, recycled into straws uh, when I was in Mexico recently. Well, not recently, pre-COVID, but last year, um, I noticed that there were a lot of straws that were being used, uh, sorry, being created with uh, old avocado pits. So would love to know a little bit about sort of how you thought about the program <laughs> um, and then really how an avocado pit gets transformed into a t-shirt. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is where so much of my passion lies in this industry. And that is because we have got to get creative if we're going to move the bar forward. There are a handful of services that are offered to, um, to us as companies or restaurants and also for you, you know, as a listener residentially. Um, that is recycling and compost if we're lucky. Um, and that is really so much of where the opportunity begins and ends for the average person and or uh, company out there. Um, and unfortunately, that's not enough. That doesn't take us to where we need to be. Um, and uh, it's, it, you know, the waste system in the U.S. is... Um, a little archaic, actually, compared to some of the other countries out there that are doing really innovative uh, work with their waste. And so we've, we hit a wall of we're recycling everywhere we can. We're, we're continuing to, to get composting out there. But it's sort of a patchwork of, of infrastructure and compost right now, and it's quite expensive. And so we're working to responsibly expand our compost program. Um, we have about 700 restaurants that are composting now. Um, but ultimately, um, what can we do when the services offered to us end at, at those places? That, that's it. This is the most we can divert from each one of these restaurants. And that's, to me, where the challenge begins. And, and um, 
you know, I, I think we can't ever take what's just given to us. We, we have to start asking the questions of, okay, but what if, and, and what can we do with this? We know we can't do this, but what can we do? And that's really where the concept of, of this avocado pit dye line came from um, and the program before it, which is our use gloves to bag program. Um, and again, I want to make sure that we know that this is just one tool of many we use. It's not the entire you know, waste or food waste, even in this case, diversion program at all. We have these really foundational sound programs, but these are the innovative layers on top of that core offering that we have that really try and make our restaurants uniquely sustainable and, and try and drive change in the industry. So to take it back one step uh, to the avocado line, which I think is important to understand where we came from, um, we looked at our waste and we realized that film plastic or, you know, um, like the, the plastic that gloves are made of, that soft plastic, um, yeah makes up about 9% of our waste. You know, gloves aren't going anywhere. They're a necessity um, of our, our business, right? Um, so how do we take these gloves and turn them into something valuable? This episode is brought to you by Real Paper, tree-free toilet paper made from 100% bamboo. Our community has been asking us about paper-free swaps for items around the house, so this alternative to traditional toilet paper is right up our alley. I don't know about you, Laura, but I always run out of toilet paper. Me too, and I love that real paper delivers direct to your home while also using plastic-free packaging. It makes stuff so much easier. Also, while you probably haven't considered the environmental impact of your bathroom habits, Unfortunately, over 27,000 trees are flushed down the toilet every day across the world. That's a lot of waste. And by using paper that comes from bamboo, you're supporting a product made out of renewable, eco-friendly resource. It's also super soft, and I couldn't tell a difference between the 100% bamboo paper and what I'm used to. Good Together listeners get 25% off your first order by using code BRIGHTLY at realpaper.com. That's R-E-E-L paper.com. Great. So the gloves to bag is, I think, a really great primer of how we're thinking about the circular economy and how we're thinking about being creative with with our waste. Um, And again, we looked at that 9% of our waste being made up of film plastic. um, And we knew that we weren't able to put it in the landfill um, or excuse me, we weren't able to recycle it. And ideally we don't want it in the landfill. So what can we do with it? We're not able to put it in the common recycling stream because it clogs up the machines, the haulers won't take it. Um, But gloves are, are here to stay for a business. So what can we do with them? And that's when we took a page out of the circular economy we looked at what is this glove made of? Um, and is there anything in our restaurant that's made of that same material? And so we were able to identify and we got a hit on our waste bag. Um, and so the, the waste bags that we use in our restaurants were made of that same material that our gloves are. Um, so we reached out to the company that made that waste bag and we said, hey, this is a crazy idea, but would you be open to taking some of our used gloves at the restaurants and turning them into these trash bags that you use, these waste bags. And sure enough, and this is why I love our partners so much, they didn't look at me like I was crazy. They got excited about it. Um, and we yeah, we worked together to create um, a program uh, where we turned our used gloves into bags. Um, avocado pits are the same way, right? We looked at our waste makeup. 
we are um, one of the largest purchasers of avocados in the world. We're the largest purchaser of avocados in any restaurant out there. Um, and as a result, we're one of the top producers of avocado pits in the world, right? Um, and so what can we do with those avocado pits? And you hit the nail on the head. There's certain things and technologies that are out there that we're investigating and looking at, like straws and cutlery. But in addition, we know that one of the things avocado, po- avocado pits can make is a natural dye. Um, and so as we knew we were launching a new goods line, how could we use our own avocado pits to dye some of that, that goods launch, right? To, to some of that apparel that we were producing. Um, and I think that that's the beauty of this, right? It is not just, um, it, it can't just be the, the foundational programs like recycling or compost. If we really want to be innovative and move the bar forward in sustainability, we have to get creative and think of these alternate ways that we can do material projects. So not just sort of fun things that get people talking, which is important too, but how can we loop that back into what we are doing as a business? Um, and so those are two examples of how we use a circular economy to, to try and innovate our way through real waste challenges. That's fascinating. And I think, you know, the the thing that really strikes me as, as fascinating in this conversation is that you didn't just take a look at what was available to you as a company like you were mentioning, right? So there's not too many different ways we can recycle things right now, honestly. Of course, there are tons of startups and and folks like Chipotle innovating to do new do things do new things with these uh, materials. And so my thought here was, you know, what whatever made you think to uh, take that maybe there was like a property about the avocado pit that lent itself really well to um, creating clothing. Like what what was the the light bulb moment where you were like, okay, it's not going to be a straw; it's going to be a piece of uh, you know of clothing. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, listen, I think um, there are many light bulb moments um, in a project like this. There's not one big flash. It's it's multiple flashes and conversations along the way. Sure. And um, for us, it's really important to um, do what we can to make projects as material as possible, meaning most meaningful for our business. Um, and so you know, when we knew, we, we, basically we look at an item, a waste item like avocado pits or gloves, and we try and just have this brainstorm session. What are all the things that we know it could be made? What is it made of? What could it be made into? These types of sessions are so invigorating for my team and I. Um, we were just sort of locked in a room with our Google and we're in there whiteboarding and trying to come up with just like, okay, uh, how could this work? How could that work? And then also on top of it, layering the things that we know we're doing um, as a company. So again, one of the things we knew that was coming up was this goods launch. um, And how could we, was there a way that uh, we could hook into that? And at the same time, we realized that avocado pits um, are, are, could create a really beautiful, sort of a millennial or blush pink color clothing dye. So for us, okay, we have a waste material we're trying to get innovative with in the avocado pits. Hey, we have an opportunity to make our goods line as sustainable as possible. Oh, avocado pits make a, a natural dye. Man, let's have a conversation with the team that's running the goods launch and see if they'd be open to it. And sure enough, they absolutely were. And we were able to work with our suppliers to make that happen. Um, and so that's how you you make it work, right? You don't necessarily, and again, this isn't a knock on any of these ideas. It's more how, for us, it's really important to stay out of the greenwashing space and more how do we do the things that we're doing as a company 
in the most sustainable way possible? Um, how do we really not just aim for the headline in some of these projects, but really drive innovation by creating change in systems. And yes, um, this isn't the solution for all of our avocado pits into perpetuity. This is one of the things that we do um, and one of the elements that we have here um, that make up such an innovative waste program. And of course, it gets people to think um, in different ways and to be creative. I think the average consumer would never think to turn an avocado pit into a T-shirt. And so, you know, even if they don't, you know, ever eat a Chipotle or ever do anything related to this initiative, the fact that they might have seen it um, will absolutely spark curiosity and hopefully create, you know, innovations for years to come. So I think that's awesome. So uh, we're kind of wrapping up our time together. And I wondered if we could just ask you a few more questions that we like to ask all of our guests. So one uh, question that we love to ask is if you can share with our audience, maybe one or two tips you have on living eco-friendly, uh, living an eco-friendly lifestyle every Every day? Yeah, this is a really important question. And I do get it a lot. And I love answering this question. Um, I think that there is a almost like a, uh, it's almost like a paralyzing fear that comes over people when there is when you look at sustainability as a whole, it's like, how could I possibly live a sustainable lifestyle? The more you dig into it, the more you realize that, um, gosh, everything you do, right? It, there, there's a more sustainable way to do almost anything. So I like to give two bits of advice. And one is pick a channel, pick something you're passionate about. Maybe it's sustainable fashion. And maybe that's where you're really going to focus your energy on, on uh, making change, right? For your own personal consuming consumption habits and behaviors. Um, and then maybe when you get really comfortable with that, you can shift to something like food or you know transportation. And how are you personally working to create change in those areas. Just one thing at a time can really create a lot of change. And then the second thing that I'd say that I think we miss sometimes as consumers, I know I do, and that is that every single day we invest in a variety of different companies and ethos and ultimately the sustainable or the not sustainable economy. And we do that through simply the transaction of a credit card or paying cash to somebody. So every time we make a purchase, we are investing in that company or that brand's beliefs um, and ultimately the work that they do behind the scenes to be more sustainable or not. And so I challenge everyone, and this is hard and it takes an awareness that we often don't have day in, day out, just for a day or two track and understand what you are personally, the brand of you is investing in each and every day because we are what we stand for in that way. Um, and I am surprised sometimes by my own behavior, right? This is my work and my job and, and just day in, day out. And what am I doing? What am I, the things I touch, the, you know, the investments, the micro investments that I make, if we can be more aware of them, that's the first step to changing our behavior, to supporting more sustainable capitalism, to supporting more sustainable brands. Um, and so that, that's always my tip. Um, start with you, start small, and start being aware of how you are investing and what you stand for. 
I love this. So we we say something very similar on the podcast all the time, which is vote with your dollars. But we've never used the term, you know, you are an investor. And I think that's fabulous. I mean, everyone loves Shark Tank and everyone <laughs> loves um, to think about that world. Of course, in our world, uh, investors are a little bit of a different term. Uh, but I think it's fascinating to take that perspective. And so thank you so much for sharing that. So um, you mentioned supporting ethical brands. I wonder if there's a favorite uh, ethical brand or product that you find yourself reaching for every day? Yeah, you know, it's, it, that is tough, I think. Um, and this is where it's tricky because um, in almost every category, there is something that I'm really excited about or, or that uh, I read about or that I'm really into. And I, I, instead of naming a specific product, one thing that I think um, the headlines and the types of products that I'm really into are these circular economy products. And maybe it's no surprise to the listeners that at this point, but anything in that sort of closed loop or open loop circular economy space, and there is some incredible stuff happening out there, whether it's in fashion or gifts or goods, or even, you know, at the scale of these large brands, what I, I what are we doing to turn our waste into something meaningful and, and actually not waste at all, right? How can we turn our outputs into input? So I, I, you know, I don't want to name one or two, which is tough, but there are some really cool things um, that I'm seeing in fashion, for instance, that, yes. you know, just really exciting stuff where, where we're looking at the end product um, of, and how are we incorporating that? So some really exciting stuff coming out of the circular economy. Those are the products that I love the most. Um, and I'm so excited about hearing more. And, and to your point before, how do we inspire each other as brands? Um, and yes, it, you know, perfection is not necessarily what we strive for in these areas, but how do we get the idea out there? How do we encourage others and consumers as they hold the product or purchase that product uh, to create change? So I hope that's an okay answer. Oh, that's totally fine. Yeah, we say planet over perfection here all the time. It's totally true. Um, and we actually just had a conversation with Levi's they have um, started to create a line of circular uh, denim. So basically, they will take denim, chop it up, make you a new pair of jeans. And their goal is to be able to have sort of this everlasting pair of jeans eventually, which I think is really cool. <laughs> yeah, the concept is so important. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'd love to see that uh, come to fruition. But yes, just even the experimentation right now is awesome. So uh, final question we have for you, which is, you know, I think we've kind of touched on this throughout the interview, but maybe if we could summarize that, I mean, what really excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable movement happening right now? Yeah, you know, actually, let me shift this a little to where we're at in the world right now. We just went, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic. I think uh, one thing that really is a surprising silver lining has been the shift of mindset of a consumer. I think so many of our lives have been forced to be simplified in a lot of ways and stripped down to what really matters most to us. And in these unprecedented times, I think just individually, we're more aware than ever of who we are, what we stand for, and what matters to us. And so for me, what excites me is that at its core is an ethical, ethical and sustainable movement, right? The fact yeah. that each of us are getting more and more in touch with this. And to me, that is a, a little, little light that's lit in each one of us going through this as we sort of pare down what is most important and condense down what our, our values are. And I am so excited to see what comes next as a result. Um, and so for me, that is one of these things that excites me so much more. I think we're so in touch as an individual, more so than maybe we've ever been 
with what really matters to us. And ultimately, my prediction is that we're going to see that shift, um, you know, to loop it around to what I was talking about before in how our actions and how our investments and how what we do day in, day out reflects those values, um, are these newfound, most condensed down versions of ourselves. I couldn't agree more. I think we're in a really exciting time right now. No longer is living ethically and sustainably a niche movement. It's something that everybody is trying to do. And so we're just super excited to watch it play out. But Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us on Good Together. Like I said, I think having the perspective of you know a company that is trying to get back to its literal roots um, in the earth while also maintaining uh, a wonderful level of scale is so fascinating. I know our listeners are going to love this conversation. So thank you so much. Oh, I'm so glad. It was great to be here. Thank you, Laura. Sure. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.